Welcome back to 97X Rumblings from the Big Bush. Uh, Damien and I had a, a great honor and pleasure to, number one, interview Robin James, the author of The Future of Rock and Roll, 97X, and The Fight for True Independence. But an even bigger deal for Damien and I was a chance to go to the Mercantile Library and instead of being in the crowd, got to be on the stage and talked about the station, talked to Robin, and we met a wonderful person there, Amy Hunter, who did this fantastic introduction about the history of the Merc. Uh, unfortunately, due to audio difficulties, we didn't get a chance to uh, get that for this upcoming podcast. So we've invited Amy on, and she's going to tell us about the uh, wonderful facilities at the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Um, and thank you both so much for even thinking of the library. I know um, Greg from Downbound Books gets a little bit of that credit, but um, as soon as I heard about the event, I knew it would be a smash, and it was. We had over 250 reservations. Um, we sold out. We had a packed house. It was great, a great night of conversation and music, so thank you both, and um, I can't wait to sort of um, listen to it again. Um, but the Mercantile Library um, is in downtown Cincinnati. We are a membership library. We were founded in 1835. And um, the building that we were in, in um, for this event, we've been in since 1904. And we've been at that address since 1840, which is kind of bonkers. Um, it's, we've survived two fires. And... Um, one of which was in 1845 and gave us sort of this um, chance to set a world record. We hold the world world's record for the longest active lease. We beat um, Guinness St. James's Brewery, I think it's called. Um, theirs is 9,000 years. Ours is 10,000 years. And we're um, 178 years into that lease. Um, the deal is, uh, in 1845, the building we were in burned down, and um, our landlord at the time didn't have the money to rebuild, and we did. Um, the group of young men who founded the library were scrappy and competitive and smart, and uh, what we would call early adopters. They would have loved modern rock, for sure, um, and they... Um, so. Our landlord, which was Cincinnati College, said, hey, we need ten grand, $10,000 to rebuild. And the library said, sure, these are our terms. We're going to stay at 414 Walnut Street for the next 10,000 years. And we're prepaying that now. And it's going to include heat. I frequently say if electricity had existed, they would have included that. Um, and they took the deal. Uh, it still stands. It's been taken to court by multiple entities. Um, and um, that's one of the biggest reasons we've survived and even thrived as a membership library um, and are able to make a lot of what we do free and open to the public. And um, our event with 97X and Downbound was free and open to the public. Um, and we get to expand. And, um, but the biggest reason that we uh, get to do what we do is um, and bring people like, so you guys have shared a stage ostensibly with Chuck D, Jennifer Egan, Chuck Klosterman, uh, Margaret Atwood, um, Colson Whitehead, Steve Earle, um, 
just to name a few, you know, so um, I, I don't know if you are glad that I didn't tell you that before you stepped on the stage, but um, when Melville spoke at the library, he bombed just to let you know. Um, but membership, we're a membership library. And if people aren't familiar with a membership library, it's um, Benjamin Franklin invented them in the 1700s. His library in Philadelphia still exists, but um, membership starts at $65 a year. And um, we have a ton of great stuff, including yoga twice a week, um, book clubs, including Rock and Read, which was started by Steve Rosen, who is um, talked about heavily in the book. And um, I think that um, is credited kind of with um, turning the tide for 97X because his Cincinnati Inquirer article sort of gave them reason to say, hey, we're a thing and it's cool. Um, anyhow, um, but about the book and about 97X and why I was so excited about it, I am from Dayton, Ohio. And um, Greg from Downbound Books emailed a few months ago and said, are you interested in hosting this? And I said, yes. And I've, and then had to probably, I think I wrote in all caps, BAM, the future of rock and roll, um, which I know writing in all caps is email shouting. But, um, you know, I was so excited because somebody wrote a book about the radio station that played all the music that shaped my life. I mean, I just, I couldn't believe it. And, um, you know, everybody, everybody in the audience, I, I kind of recognized not because I knew them, but because we were kindred spirits and so many of them were like me and we got, we got a ton of emails before the event and after the event about 97 X changed my life. And, um, like for me, I'm of a certain age, as was much of the audience. And I grew up in Dayton, outside of Dayton. And in Dayton, you could get 97X <clears throat> reception in certain parts of town and if the weather was good. Um, so, you know, like I, I distinctly remember like driving like the loop with friends of mine to just to get reception. Um, but or, you know, a bunch of my friends went to Miami University from those dates um what was it 83 to the mid 2000s mid early 2000s i should say um and it was music you weren't hearing anywhere it was some videos you were seeing on mtv which was only two years old but it was life-changing and um and it dawned on me when i was thinking about this event and um it, nobody is going to tell me different that um the x in 97x also stands for the X in Generation X. Um, and I, you know, I will stand by that. Um, but really, like, I, um, even though this is after the event, we really have to thank Greg from Downbound Books and um, Howard from Great Lakes Brewing and Shake It Records and the anonymous person who paid for the printing of all the very, very cool 97X logo stickers that the proceeds benefit the library. Um, so, um, yeah, I just, I'm so grateful to have been a part of it and have this much fun and call it my job. So thank you. Quick question. Are mm -hmm. stickers still available and where can, oh, you, yeah. get them? Where can <clears throat> um, you get them so it can benefit the library? Yes, you can. Um, 
Yes. Um, the easiest, best way and fastest is to do it in person. We're at 414 Walnut Street. Um, we're open six days a week. You can also call us, 513-621-0717 um, or mercantilelibrary.com. My email address is on the website. Um, and, um, you know, if you find us and just ask anyone about the stickers, somebody will know. And I am a member, Amy, and uh, mm-hmm. anyone who isn't uh, strongly urge them to just visit the website, look at the events just for the month ahead. And if that doesn't sell you, then you probably can't read because it, it, it's fantastic. <laughs> you know, like you said, you have yoga, you have rock and read, you had the, the 97X thing we did, you have, you know, world famous authors coming in, bestsellers, and, and, and just local events as well, history. I mean, every sort mm-hmm. of genre, you're covering it. And it's just, it's also just a beautiful space to just spend lunchtime, you know, to just get away. Yeah from everything else, sit down and think. Uh, if, if you're a writer, great place to start mm-hmm. in that first draft. And um, like-minded people, you know, pe- people that enjoy the written word, uh, and you'll, you'll find your people there for sure. Yeah, that's, I actually, that's, I tell people that a lot. And also, um, it's a great co-working space. For 65 bucks a year, it's kind of um, the best deal for co-working. And, um, almost all of our events are free or nominal. Um, but, and we also have books, like we're not just about the events. We have great books in the collection and really cool stuff. Too. Yeah. And, and magazines as well. I mean, honestly, you can mm-hmm. save the 65 bucks that you spend for the annual yeah. membership just, uh, with magazine subscriptions, which is what I would do I'd go over at lunchtime and read the New Yorker or something, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Dave, Amy mentioned that we shared a stage with Chuck D, Steve Earle, and some other luminaries of the literary world. She forgot to mention also they had a puppet show there once, and we had the billing below the puppet show. It was supposed to be Dave and Damien <laughs> and the puppet show, but it was puppet show <laughs> Dave and Damien. I don't know how that how that happened. Yeah, to- well, they had literary cred, so you know. <laughs> Sorry. Well, we're so glad we could get Amy on here to explain that. She did such a great introduction, uh, and, and it was missed in the recording. Uh, and, and we've caught, well, actually, Amy and the group of the Mercantile caught most of the interview. So in the words uh, of um, many other broadcasters, we will join the interview in progress. Serving people who wanted to know more new and different things about music, right? So this is really a station that cared about nothing more than just playing more new and different music, right? And what's interesting about 97X is that 97X was small enough that they could do that, right? So as I said, uh, I said this on WVXU earlier this week, 97X was never supposed to work. Right, so it's this very small station, 3,000 watts, which is like nothing, and the FCC continually limited it to that because there's a station in Georgetown, Kentucky, broadcasting on the same frequency, and if it got any, if the signal got any stronger, it would bleed into this other station's area. So it's got a very small signal, and it's stuck right in between three radio markets that it not, covers none of them fully. Right, so it's kind of between Cincinnati, Richmond, and Dayton, and the problem with that is advertisers look at market share, right? So when they're trying to decide, you know, like, do we advertise with you? They're looking at market share. And 97X had terrible market share because it was in, it was kind of nowhere. 
right? So it had to be really creative about how to brand itself, right? And so because it was small and because it shouldn't work, it got to do everything that traditional radio said was wrong, right? It had the freedom to take risks because it was small, right? So it played all this amazing music. It innovated a business model that put the music and the people first. Right? And that's, I think, the bigger picture here. Right? So my, my academic training is actually in philosophy, sorry. Um, <laughs> but actually, I think that's, that's, what makes, that what, that's what made WOXY what it was, is it had this idea of independence. That independence is something that you can only practice with and for other people. And that just suffuses everything, right? From the station uh, taking listeners to build a Habitat for Humanity house, for uh, the Baylogisms, which you will know, which is Doug Baylog's management philosophy, right? Uh, once he said, uh, anyone's success is an accumulation of other people's successes, right? Uh, to just um, the the ethos of music, right? Like they were just trying to program for their listeners, right? More new, more different, less of the same, right? So this, the, the philosophy of, of WOXY, this idea of independence is what makes it really special. Uh, Robin uh, referenced Doug Baylog. Uh, Doug and Linda Baylog are the owners and founders of 97X and uh, bought the station in the early 80s. It's covered in Robin's book. Um, and they, they took the station to where it uh, ended when they sold it. They, they did a really good job of, of doing what Robin was just talking about there. Uh, Doug and Linda had a list of what we called the bay luggages that were up in the station, and, and usually when you left the station, you got a copy of it. And it's good business sense that make, makes sense, and it's a little bit about independence. Oh, definitely, yeah. A quick show of hands, if you listen to 97X, and you turned a corner and then George Strait came on because you got out of range and you heard that country, yeah, I thought so, I thought so. And, and Robin, you mentioned the stat about the most music played, but you forgot the other stat, which probably the most taped songs on cassette station ever, right? <laughs> Show of hands again, who ran the, yeah. Yeah, which is, I think speaks to uh, the amount, you, you had to want it. You had to put tinfoil on your antenna or, mm -hmm. you know, stick your head out the window or whatever yeah. to get it. So talk a little bit about that, like, like how that community developed and, and the type of people that were attracted to 97X. You had to first know it existed. Yeah, and I, as in my case, it was kind of a person-to-person -person thing, right? People knew that, like, oh, you're this kind of person. Maybe you'll like it, right? So it was a real, you know, kind of uh, grassroots uh, community. Um, I think it was you, Dave, who used the word boutique. Yes. That's <laughs> yeah. a good way to, to describe it. We were a boutique station because it was hard to uh, find the signal everywhere you were at. So we consider ourselves a boutique, I guess is the uh, term now <laughs> yeah. uh, for 97X. Yeah, but that, um, so for example, um, they put a special antenna up on Bogarts so that you could get the signal uh, during events. I think there was also a special uh, antenna at Sentiments, mm -hmm. Rock City, the old uh, hot topic before it was hot topic and uncool. <laughs> or, or maybe the alley in Chicago was a better, better comparator to sentiments, right? But yeah, you really had to want it, and you had to, it, it meant that the people who were listening to 97X were interested in expanding their boundaries, right? Because that was really the, the programming ethos at the station, right? There was um, 
no boundaries around the music. Phil Manning says this like five times in print somewhere. Mike Taylor says this like multiple times in print. So um, one of the things that made 97X stand out, especially in the 90s, as a sort of alt-rock radio bubble happened as Nirvana breaks and uh, Clear Channel sort of gobbles up stations and starts syndicated alt-rock all over everywhere. So um, at that time, people started to sort of really boundary police alt-rock, so it was all just very sort of straightforward, guitar-centered music, right? 97X has always been the complete opposite of that. Right? And you could see this in their programming. And this is something interesting from Doug Baylog's TV background. Right? So TV is programmed by uh, themed blocks. Think like game shows in the morning, soap operas in the afternoon, Jerry Springer in the late afternoon, rest in peace, and then the news. <laughs> right? Um, whereas radio is programmed by shifts, like drive time or morning. Right? Well, 97X is programmed more like TV. Right? So you get Blue Monday, you got Extra Beats, you got Dreadlocks, right? So there was this programming of all these different genres, right? And then that, that just suffused throughout, throughout the regular programming, right? It was, it was, there was this clear ethos of boundary policing is the last thing we want to do. We just want to be open to new things. And, and that also meant being open to all different kinds of people. Right? Because part of musical boundary policing is policing the kinds of people you want around, right? And if you look in the records, right, like I went deep in the weeds looking at like who won Lollapalooza tickets in 1994 <laughs> to see like what is your name and where do you live? And it was really everybody from everywhere, right? It was all kinds of music and all kinds of people. Uh, and if you won Lollapalooza tickets, please don't call for the next two weeks. Give someone else a chance to win. <laughs> Um, you were talking about uh, formats and, and, and genres. Well, you know, explain the difference between the two. Sure. So format and genre are related, but um, radio people think they're different. So um, a format in radio is really defined by a demographic, right? A formats are ways of speaking to advertisers, right? We like, uh, you know, uh, men 18 to 24, or this is for women 35 to 50, right? So it's it's a a format is for a demographic tied to a, an audience segment that advertisers care about. So, you know, um, uh, WVXU has a very different demographic than Q... Does Q102 still around? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's how traditional radio is programmed as a format, right? Modern rock is, is the name of a format. Um, but a genre is less about defining people and more about defining stylistic characteristics of music, right? So modern rock is a format that includes many different styles of music, right? EDM, reggae, punk, singer-songwriter, alt-country. And um, one of the shifts that's really interesting is, you know, once Nirvana breaks and alt-rock happens, there's a collapse of format into genre. Right for most of the rest of alt rock radio, that that 97X never never followed. They stayed true to the, you know, um, it's everything and more. We talked a little bit about Doug and his wife Linda, but like the different phases of the radio station, from you know how they acquired it and then through the different iterations of 97X. Sure. So um, according to the the radio broadcast yearbook. In 1980, 97.7 WOXY was playing Easy Listening. 
right? So clearly there was financial trouble there. Um, I think it's because, like I said, the station was never supposed to work. So in 1981, the station goes on sale, and Doug and Linda buy it because they were uh, basically running the rat, corporate rat race in Chicago, and they wanted a, a calmer life where they could spend more time with their family and their community, right? And they were, Doug was in broadcasting and Linda was in advertising and they didn't know what they wanted as a family business, they just wanted something that they could, you know, play to their strengths. And so here's this station that's up for sale in Oxford, probably because nobody could figure out how to make it work, right? And they bought it. And they just, for the first two years, 81 and 82, they kind of stuck with the typical, uh, as the day gets later the audience gets younger format. And that was just kind of the, you know, standard industry wisdom for a small station like that. But that was not working at all. Um, and so Linda has a background in advertising, so they do some market research, right, and focus groups. Uh, one of the focus groups was the uh, Oxford Rock Advisory Board, which was made up of Miami students that met at the Oxford Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> And what the students said is that, well, we're not hearing all the new stuff we're hearing on MTV on Cincinnati radio, right? And so you've got listener voices on the one hand saying, we want this new and different stuff. And then on the other hand, you have station staff Steve Dedalus, who uh, came from LA where K-Rock, right? One of the first um, modern rock post-punk stations was playing, and he had some tapes that he had taped off the air, and he said, Doug, I really think this is the way forward, right? So the Baylogs listened to their listeners, they listened to their staff. Again, this is this independence, right? Like, I'm gonna do what I think supports the people around me, and they said, okay, we're gonna do this modern rock format in 1983. So in 1983, the station was reborn as uh, 97X, Cincinnati's only modern rock station isn't in Cincinnati. That was the liner then, right? But you again get this disidentification Right? It's spatial and geographic rather than temporal. Right? So the station evolves, becomes the future of rock and roll in 1989, 1988, uh, because uh, Baker was asked to cut some liners for Rain Man. Right? Um, and then, um, so the, it, really the station kind of has its heyday in the 90s, right? Alt-rock radio happens and 97X is the good opposite of that. Right? Uh, and in the late 90s, uh, Rolling Stone names it the last great independent in radio. Yeah, well, because for a couple of reasons, Clear Channel was gobbling up small stations, so it was really hard to be a, a small business in the radio industry at the time, but also just the programming, right? Um, Alt-Rock Radio is becoming what K-Rock program director would later call Red State Rock, right? Sort of really focused on a very narrow demographic of white men of a certain age. Whereas 97X was again focused on, you know, serving broad, a broad range of listeners and a broad range of music. And that worked until it didn't. In 2004, uh, the Baylogs sold the station. They were, for a number of reasons related to both their own personal sort of, you know, they were getting older, they had parents to take of, they had to think, care, think of their own retirement. They stole the, sold the station to First Broadcasting, which then combined the station with that Kentucky station. That's why they wanted 97X, is they wanted to make a mega station. And uh, they thought that they would be able to survive as an internet-only station, because they had been perhaps 
the first FM station to consistently broadcast on the internet in the US. Uh, the UNC Chapel Hill station is thought to be the first station to try it out, but they didn't do it consistently. So this would be in the early 90s. So they thought they were gonna try to be an online only um, station, but um, as many people know, still today, we have no workable business model for commercial streaming radio. Spotify doesn't make a profit, right? So back in 2004, no one had figured this business model out. So the station closed in, uh, was it March or May? I can't remember offhand. It was an M month. March, yeah. March of 2004, it closes. And the next day, Doug Baylog drives back to the building because that was his Saturday routine. They still owned the building and he kind of went back and kind of, you know, just did like a visiting the body post-mortem kind of thing. And he's getting in his car. And he says, this guy comes running up to him in his car and he's like, are you a 97X fan looking for merch? And, <laughs> and no, the, the man says, uh, I represent someone who has a lot of money and wants to make this happen. Are you free for a call on Monday? Right? So this is a 97X listener who had uh, made a lot of money in tech, but who said, you know, the condition of this is that we remain anonymous. And um, so a listener donated enough money to keep the internet station running for three years, right? And then in 2006, they, so, um, and stop me if I'm getting into too much detail here. So in the, in the early internet days, the Baylogs spun off um, Exalt as a sort of a, a corporation um, that housed just the internet stuff. Right? So that when they sold the station, they only sold Baylog Broadcasting. They didn't sell Exalt, which owned all of the WOXY intellectual property and records and things like that. So uh, Exalt still had a board with Doug and Linda. And in 2006, they said, we just can't, there's, there's still no workable business model here. Right? They tried a subscription drive. That didn't work. So they said, well, rather than keep trying to you know, beat a dead horse, we'll just close. Right? So they closed, and a week later, Bill Nguyen, uh, the owner of Lala, said on the WXI message boards, literally, I am here to save the station. <laughs> right? So, you know, again, <laughs> resembling the past, we have someone come in at the last minute. He bought the station for Lala, which, if you don't know what that is, I would now describe as Uber, but for you, CDs. Right? Uh, and he bought the station basically as a value add to make his brand look cool. I mean, because 97X was cool. And that worked uh, for a while until, as all startups do, uh, this Lala was sold to a bigger corporation. So there were talks to sell Lala to Apple. And uh, the WOXY crew that that they would, knew that they would not be part of it. So Future Sounds, which, which was a music promo company that the station had been working with, and in fact, Future Sounds had a weekend show on 97X for a while before the sale. Um, they bought uh, the WOXY part of Lala before uh, Lala was sold to Apple. And if you've ever used iTunes, you've used part of Lala slash 97X. So uh, they're going on future sounds until uh, basically South by Southwest 2010. The future sounds people are in town to do the promo. 97X hosts a bunch of things at South by Southwest. The future sounds people go back to Los Angeles and the Monday after South by Southwest call the crew in Austin and say, we don't have any money, we're closing. Will you work for free for a while? 
<laughs> and if you ask Shiv, he just says, we said no. <laughs> so that's the history of the broadcast station. Uh, you, you touched on two points there. One is uh, the original on-air sign-off, which I think anybody who worked at 97X, listened to 97X, either taped that on cassette. Uh, I thought Steve Baker did a fantastic job kind of wrapping up the ethos everything about, about 97X, and he held it together. I still think to this day that's one of the most amazing sign-offs, if you can, uh, eulogies uh, put together. And, and I asked Steve about that, and he said, unfortunately, he had to do quite a few eulogies over his life and, and uh, kind of put that together, and it was like losing a family member. Uh, and I agree with him on that. Uh, the other thing you brought up is the, a, a question that I get still to this day is whatever happened to the 97X music, the categories, the intellectual property, and, and you kind of touched on it a little bit there. Uh, Matt Sh Shiverdecker that, that started at the station, in fact, he was an intern. I hired him as an intern in, in 96 or 97. Good choice. Um, stayed on till the very end. And you went down to Austin, Texas, where he moved with WXY.com when it moved from Longworth Hall here in town down there. And he's got everything, doesn't he? You, you were, Most actually, things. You referenced it in the book as the... The sh Shiverdecker archives. Yes. yes. So w what does he have down there? Um, it's not everything, but it's, it's a couple of file cabinets full of stuff. Um, he has some very earliest stuff from the 80s, so I think I have a lot of 1981 playlists, weekly playlists. Um, I have, mo or well, he has, I have, I have photos of, right? So I have photos of all of this stuff. So he has early 80s stuff, um, 83, 84 playlists. He has the entire 1993 weekly playlist and People Choice, People's Choice Countdown, right? Every week. Right, um, he has a lot of stuff from 89 through 91, just in terms of weekly, um, you know, station documents. Here's what's going on, the, here's the rotation schedule, right? Just, you know, really detailed information. Some of the cool things he has, he's got um, pictures from Lollapalooza 94, which was coincidentally my first concert ever. <laughs> Um, uh, pictures of people on the butt cooler, which was a big chunk of ice. Uh, actually, the butt cooler would have been shut down now in this era. <laughs> it was the grossest conglomeration of Very microbes. Oh, it was nasty, but people sat on it. Probably not the grossest thing at Lollapalooza 94, but you know. Um, which is saying something. <laughs> um, what else is cool in his archive? Um, my favorite thing, because I'm an extra beats girl, was Jay Foreman's letter to re basically rework how extra beats was done. It was a proposal, right? Um, so this was in, um, I think it was 1989. And this is, so 1989 is also when Pete Tong's essential selection appears on BBC. And that matters because like this is the first time you get radio programming that's basically like a DJ mix. Right? So right around the same time that Pete Tong at the BBC, who's far more well-known than Jay Foreman is, Jay Foreman says, but we need to do the exact same thing. Right? So 97X is right up there with the BBC. We wanted, they, she wanted to change the format of extra beats from like a regular sort of flow sheet, right? Mm -hmm. To something more like a DJ mix. And at the bottom of the first page, in all caps, it says, 
No one dance show can be 100% wax tracks, exclamation <laughs> mark. And it's interesting because I looked at the suggested playlist she had and there were at least three wax tracks bands on there. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I guess, you know, not 100%. But um, for me, that was the, the most interesting thing in, in Shiv's archive. I, I want to be cognizant of time, and I, sure. I want to shift for a little bit. Since Taylor Fox de hand-delivered yes. the shirt to my house uh, and talk about the modern rock 500, both in the 97X and Woxie.com era, as well as in the future yeah. for the future yeah. of rock and roll. Yeah, so the Modern Rock 500 is really how WOXY understood as it its own self-definition, right? So the um, the way the Modern Rock 500 uh, was built was so the the 1989 500 was the the first one, and that was really the station saying these are the most important 500 songs in our library, right? And that was put together by station staff. And then every year after that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I've never actually put one of these together. Um, the People's Choice Countdowns, which were the weekly sort of requests, were used to determine what new songs each year should be put in. And it's interesting because, in, this is another interesting part of Shiv's archives, uh, in the pre-Excel days of 1993, you can see Phil Manning's calculations of the Modern Rock 500 on each weekly People's Choice Countdown, and then like three legal pads, oh. right? <laughs> Um, so I'm not going to go back and forensically do that math, but it's there if somebody wants to. Um, so yeah, so the Modern Rock 500 is really 97X's story of itself. And I think what's important about the Modern Rock 500 is that it's, it is in the same way that um, the station issued the sort of, we are just narrowly alt-rock just about guys playing guitars, right? The Modern Rock 500 tells a much more diverse story of the history of modern rock than the received kind of narratives that you read or hear today on alt-rock radio. So um, yeah, that's, that's why the modern rock 500 is important, I think. Um, I would be curious to know more about this new modern rock 500. Well, it, we're pretty excited about this. Um, as you know, Damien and I have had this podcast for four or five years, 97X Rumbling from the Big Bush, and I think we've talked to... Available on all major podcasting platforms. <laughs> Way to go, promo man. As well as 97XBAM.com. Wow, look at you go. <laughs> so, um, and, and we've done it for five years, and I think we've uh, talked to as, about as many people as we can, listeners, fans... Artists that we played on the station, you know, John Curley, you know, Rob Fetters. We talked to authors. You know, authors as well, too, a couple times. And, and actually, this will be on the podcast as well, too. So if you want to relive this exciting evening, you can. <laughs> At 97xbam.com or where else? Uh, all, all major. Uh, oh, all, all major podcasting platforms. <laughs> actually, you can go to one of your spying devices and say, hey, Alexa, play the latest episode of the Rumbling, 97x Rumblings from the Big Bush yeah. podcast. And by God, it'll play it. But and if you listen to the latest episode, you were talking about the demise of the dot-com era. Brian Neese is here in the audience today. He was part of that, part of the folks that moved from uh, Cincinnati down to Austin, it engineered most of the lounge acts that were extremely popular and still exist online. So it, if you listen to that podcast, I know it's shameless self-promotion, I don't care. It, it is interesting to hear Mike Taylor and Shiv and Brian and Brian Jay uh, talk about the ups and downs of that and the eventual demise. So uh, if you listen to no other, listen to the most recent episode. Can so. I just plug the podcast and say it really shows that the best thing about 97X are the people, 
right? Like that's, yeah. So we can get back on topic, but yeah. Yeah, we didn't even get to that part of it, but yeah, <laughs> well, you're right. Well, I, mean, I, think, I think that actually segues into one of the points of your book is you say that 97X still is. It's not a was, it's an is. Yeah, so the internet basically changed how people had to define radio. Right? So if NPR is releasing the same thing on the air and in a podcast, what is this American life? Is it a podcast or is it a radio show? Right? So radio scholars have started to say, well, what makes radio radio is the, the shared experience of it, right? The, the feeling of being together in the moment with other people. It's not a technology or a box or waves. It's the experience, right? So if radio is the experience of sharing a moment together with other people, then People still do this all the time, and I think your podcast is a great example of that, right? There's, you know, when you listen to the podcast, we're there together. When I look at, so there's still tons of WOXY images on Flickr, if you want to go down a rabbit hole when you get home, uh, <laughs> right? But this is another way that people share the experience of WOXY together. So I argue that WOXY is still with us in people's community around the station. It's almost like a decentralized community radio station now, right? With all these various online Spotify playlists, things like that. So, so to kind of tag onto that, um, we're going to wrap up the podcast and we're talking with Mike Taylor, who was around when in the uh, early 90s when, when Damien and I were at the station all the way till the end, and he was the program director at the end. He, he started talking to Damien and I and said, why don't we uh, do one Modern Rock 500 to celebrate 40 years from the start of the station? So we, we bounce things around, and, and Inhaler Radio and, and, and TAFO, if the, you guys were on the boards at all, uh, was an important part of that as well, too. We decided to go to talk to Inhaler Radio and said, hey, how about doing the Modern Rock 500? And they were all in board, uh, Corian and, 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 and Taylor. And, and uh, we, we put it together. Um, we took the list from Jim Brubaker. Uh, as, as, as Robin alluded to, we have some hardcore fans. And Jim took every Modern Rock 500 from 1989 till the OXY.com sign-off and weighted each song. So if a song was on the Modern Rock 500 for one time at 499, it got one point. I'm just making that point up. Or if it's The Smiths' How Soon Is Now, which was the number one song and probably five or six of those Modern Rock 500s, got a lot of points. You needed Excel to do this. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> there have been a lot of legal pads. Yeah. So uh, we, we got together. Mike took it upon himself to uh, kind of compile the top 500 from Jim's list. So it's only to the songs that were played when we were on the air. So you're not going to hear anything after 2010 on the list. Um, and it's those songs, we kind of, you know, reweighted it. He talked to other program directors that were there, Phil, myself, Steve, other ones, uh, kind of put in their, their two cents. And we put together the Modern Rock 500 along with what Shiv had. So it's going to be those old liners. I was actually listening to a little bit of it on the way here to be selfish. I heard the Mr. Hell Sentiments Rock City commercial. You're going to hear, you know, Frank Evie. You're going to hear uh, Bake singing uh, extra cash coupons. You're going to hear Rain Man. You're going to hear everything in there. And we got 30 of the former air talent uh, that we could get a hold of that we, we knew from the podcast uh, that we talked to. They're involved. So, so we got 
it's going to be like listening to the station again, but you get the signal. Now, you can still put aluminum foil on your car antenna if you want <laughs> or out the window. That's fine, but you don't need to do that for this. Uh, and then uh, to keep it in the 97X family, it was great that uh, my son, Jack Telman, now lives in Nashville, works at a, a recording studio, and he put it all together. Um, so it was a Herculean work on his part. And then what we're going to do is Monday through Friday before the Modern Rock, uh, Modern Rock 500 on inhaler.com, you can tune in during the day. And then like the old school days when you had the cookout with the cooler starting Monday morning, I mean on Saturday morning like at 9 or 10 whenever we started it, uh, it'll be just like it was a Memorial Day weekend. And, and, and kudos to everyone at Inhaler because they're going to leave it uh, posted on there as well later on. So if you want to do it on Labor Day weekend, you can listen to it then or whenever you want to. Uh, so it is like listening to the station again, and I'm really excited about that. And, and it kind of came from, from Robin's book, our podcast, and, and, and it came together. And you got those sweet shirts that you can buy, too, at Inhaler that, that our male model Fabio is wearing <laughs> to my right. Buongiorno, Dave. <laughs> uh, I, I did want to ask a little bit because I think it plays into that. You mentioned it. So Taylor Fox in, involved at Inhaler, uh, a kindred spirit. I see Ken Katkin here from Trash Fellow Radio. So anybody that's playing, you know, different sort of music, like, it, it is a kindred spirit. And I think, like, informed by, inspired by, or, you know, like, kindred to 97X. And, and Taylor was never on 97X, but he was heavily involved with the message boards, which took on a life of their own. So if you could talk about the sense of community there, I think that would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So I was on the message boards. I was mischievous, misspelled. <laughs> yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> I heard some O's. How they know? Uh-oh. I don't know if that's good or Is that or good or, or bad? <laughs> was that an O like good or bad? Oh, okay. Good. Good. Mich Michelle Burr says it's good, so it's got to be good. Yeah, so the message boards were one of the things that persisted even as the station sort of was on and off air. But this was, um, interestingly, especially, like I'm on Twitter today a lot, and sometimes those message boards just seem like, you know, halcyon days. Um, <laughs> but I think Sledge is to credit for that, because I think Sledge was moderating it most of the time. But yeah, so the, the message boards, I think, were, you know, an early, very early version of social media. Right, and it was definitely a place where the listeners could become involved and get to know each other um, in ways that you know it, it would be hard to do in person, you know. So, um, and the listen, the message boards actually were the spur for Randomville, which is one of the things that persisted after 97X went off the air. Right, so Randomville was a, I would say, a, a music blog in the blog era, right. And um, it was one of the, it, it uh, emerged spe specifically as a response to, oh no, what do we do? But it became its own thing. It was another instance of people working to support each other in their own independence. Uh, and and you're, you're talking about family. I want to take, because we're going to wrap up here in a second so we can, you know, do the autograph session and, and all that. And, and to be clear, that's just Robin signing books, Dave. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> wants our autograph. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I thought you would that sign is, some t-shirts. Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, there's a, you know, Damien and I got together. There's a, a good group of 97X alumni that work there uh, from the 80s, starting with Matt, uh, all the way to WXY.com. If the, you, you guys could stand up, I'd appreciate it. Anybody that was part of 97X, please stand up. Let's give them a hand because, you know. Thank you. 
it, it, certainly was a, it, it certainly was a labor of love uh, for those of us who worked there. Because, you know, put it this way, we didn't work there for a paycheck. I think you put it best, uh, Damien. How, how did you say? Least amount of money I ever made in a career, and I use the term career very loosely, but the most fun I ever had. So. Uh, and it was the, the people we worked with and the listeners that were so passionate about the station and the music that you'd see at the Rock and Bowl, 97 Extra Beats on the River at Bogart shows and compare notes. Which show are you going to next week? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, me too, you know. Like, that was what was exciting about it and made it so fulfilling beyond. Like, what are you going to remember? You know, how much is in your bank account when you pass away or the, the friendships you made? That's right. So, and sorry that, to get all somber it. there. No, but that's it, right? Like, that's, that's 97X, right? That's what matters is the people. 97X. What you listening to, son? I don't think you like it. Well, why not? I like this new generation of music. Rumblings from the big bush.